Welcome to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. In today's special episode, we sat down with Victor Avila, former ICE special agent and author of Agent Under Fire. He touches on China's role in getting illicit drugs like fentanyl over the border and into the U.S., how widespread trafficking is in the U.S., and much more. Let's dive in. Victor, thank you so much for joining us. Great to have you on the show. Thank you for having me. So lately, the U.S. kind of passed a milestone in overdose deaths, and a lot of that is attributed to fentanyl. And a lot of parts of fentanyl actually come from China. So as your experience of being a former ICE special agent, what can you tell us about how China's able to get not just drugs but other things across our borders? Absolutely. China has a major role in Mexico in conjunction with the cartels as they're the primary producers and uh, providers of the precursors and chemicals to the cartels that produce the methamphetamine and fentanyl, uh, especially the counterfeit pills. Uh, there's over 100 super labs in Mexico right now that produce these uh, drugs and that continue to pour into our country, mostly through our southern border. And as you mentioned, over 107,000 deaths of what I consider poisonings uh, directly related to the cartels. According to the Drug Enforcement Administration, one out of every four pills in this country right now is a counterfeit pill. And so you have uh, this, this surge in deaths uh, in the young population, uh, mostly in uh, college-age students, which might not necessarily be drug-addicted uh, or just experimenting with a, a pill. They take one, it happens to be a counterfeit pill full of fentanyl, and they uh, overdose on it. And let's not forget the, the meth. Uh, as I travel around the country, the methamphetamine is a huge impact on a lot of communities, especially when it comes to crime and uh, the crime associated with uh, that highly addictive drug. And I've seen it in towns that most people would not expect to, uh, the, the meth where it's ending up, and that's uh, states like South Dakota and Montana as well. And so on the topic of drugs, how is fentanyl so much deadlier than, say, meth or other drugs? Well, first of all, it's a highly, highly addictive drug. And um, obviously, it's a, it takes a very, very small amount of fentanyl to overdose. And the cartels obviously do not um, care about the amount that they put in each individual pill. So you might have two separate pills that contain fentanyl, one where one person will not die, the other one will. And it is just highly, highly addictive, highly dangerous. Uh, we have a lot of um, police forces around the country that even being exposed to it by uh, air or by touching it and absorbing it through your system, can you can go into a uh, uh, overdose type of situation. And that's happened a lot to police officers and first responders. So it's a big, big impact that it has uh, throughout our country. But somehow our elected officials are not getting that picture of the alert. And I, I believe it's a national security and public safety issue because China is directly involved. And we know the issues that we have with that country. And Victor, in your experience as a former ICE special agent, how is China able to get these fentanyl precursors from China all the way into the U.S.? Well, um, it, the, the number one word that comes to me is the corruption that exists in Mexico. They're able to pay off uh, at these uh, major seaports in Mexico. 
able to pay off the uh, government officials in Mexico to get that um, those chemicals in the country. Now, it's not just uh, the precursors that China is involved. They're involved in the in the steel trade and a lot of other trades and also in the buying of our land um, in Texas just a couple of years ago. There was a major purchase of 140,000 acres of uh, Texas land on our border in Del Rio, Texas, right next to an Air Force base. And uh, once it was looked into, of course, it was tied to individuals with uh, tied to the CCP. And this is, uh, again, a national security issue that China is trying to then not, you know, through Mexico infiltrate us through the cartels but also with the purchasing of, of major portions of land in our in our uh, state of Texas and around the country. And so what can be done to counter that, especially is it securing the borders or what can be done to stop it? Well, ultimately, it comes down to that. A lot of the, the ripple effect that we see it is coming down to securing the border. It's not just about illegal immigration. It's about the um, this, this national security issue when it comes to China, when it comes to terrorism, just like uh, the individuals that want to come in here illegally know that the border is open. So does the special interest groups know that uh, the border is wide open uh, through Mexico. And so we have encountered already 42 individuals on the no-fly list or terror watch list that we know about. Uh, just um, just this past week, ICE was able to finally locate an individual, a terrorist from Colombia in Florida that was allowed to come into the country. I mean, we are at a point right now where uh, this open border is affecting us in many, many ways in our criminal justice systems around the country, our healthcare systems, our school systems, and of course, national security. On the note of dangerous individuals coming over, you worked in uh, human trafficking in your, and then you detailed a story in your book, Agent Under Fire. And so how dangerous is that? Tell us about it. Well, um, I wrote this book, first of all, to tell the story of the ambush that Special Agent Jaime Zapata and I uh, went through at the hands of the Zeta cartel in Mexico while I was on assignment over there. We were attacked and shot at over 100 rounds. Uh, Special Agent Jaime Zapata tragically lost his life in the line of duty. I survived being shot three times. And um, I know firsthand the threat that we face by these cartels. Um, and, uh, and in the book, I also talk about the uh, human trafficking was my subject matter expertise and how much of it we're seeing now in the sexual exploitation of children and child trafficking, the smuggling that becomes trafficking. It is a huge, huge problem. I rescued countless women and children from these horrific conditions and the open border only allows these cartels to continue to do that. Um, in this book, you'll read uh, on the second part of it, a lot about border security when it comes to the wall, sanctuary cities, asylum, things that are happening today. You would think I wrote the book yesterday and how relevant it is today. And what are some actionable steps that could be implemented to really help counter this trade? Well, one is to uh, one is the awareness. Uh, the, first of all, to understand what human trafficking really is. Um, uh, I, I, I do a lot of uh, trainings to identify victims, uh, first responders to know the difference between a human trafficking victim and, and possibly just uh, a sex worker, which is a difference, right? And um, 
uh, and also human smuggling versus human trafficking, human smuggling being a one-time venture to enter the United States illegally when human trafficking is the continuing exploitation of that person. And so just being aware of uh, the differences and what it is. And also, um, uh, if you want to learn more, contact. Uh, there's a lot of great NGOs, non-governmental organizations throughout the country that dedicate themselves for anti-human uh, trafficking, uh, combating this, this horrific crimes all over the country that you'll be able to um, get together with them and learn how to do something in your community to at least be aware that this is something that is happening that hopefully you could have uh, an impact in, in helping stop it. And circling back to your book, um, what steps would you like to see implemented so that what happened to your partner doesn't happen to other agents? That's a great question. Um, once uh, I, I actually make some suggestions in my book, one would be a surge to the southern border of sending everyone that has any kind of training, not just ICE, uh, CBP, but other agencies to help in controlling and sealing the border. Once you do that, then you're able then to focus on other ripple effects that we see because of what's happening. But um, a lot of times, if you want to fight the battles of the drug trafficking and the human trafficking inside the country, it's very difficult when the the poorest open border continues the flow. We need to stop the flow and shut it down first. And once you do that, then you can really focus on helping these communities that are being affected. There's a lot of crime at the hands of illegal aliens around the country where U.S. citizens are victims at the hands of these gang members, uh, drug traffickers, and horrific crimes that we already have a crime surge in the U.S. We already have issues of our own. Now we're having to deal with people from other countries and all over part of the world. I want people to understand it's not just Mexico and Central America. We're getting people from 150 different countries in here. And they're coming with a different mentality, a different ideology, and sometimes that does not mix in as they don't want to assimilate into our communities and causes a lot of friction. And so once these people or these drugs get over the border before they're closed, what are some steps so that people can maybe recognize the danger they're in? Is there a way to recognize a counterfeit drug or someone illegal who's been coming over? It's very difficult. I mean, these counterfeit pills are very well done. These, uh, they call them pill mills. In Mexico, one of the most uh, popular ones is the M30. It's a blue pill. It's probably one of the most that is highly uh, recognized. But um, you have counterfeit pills of Adderall, Oxycontin, uh, you name it, that look exactly like the real one. So it's very hard, I would say, to educate your kids and let them know that this is not the same as 20 years ago where you try to experiment with the drugs that nowadays you're playing Russian roulette with these with these uh, drugs because even the marijuana is sometimes laced with fentanyl. We have a lot of other drugs, cocaine and heroin, that are laced with uh, fentanyl and causes a lot of issues. And Victor, is there any last thoughts you'd like to add? Well, I just want uh, people to understand that the crisis at the border is chaotic. It is chaos. It is uh, uh, despite what you might hear or not hear of what's happening in the border, it is real. It is something that is a ripple effect that is affecting every inch of our communities around the country. And it's important to be aware. Uh, 
hold your account, your uh, elected officials accountable, especially at the local level, because eventually they will be making decisions uh, when these individuals come to your neighborhoods uh, that will affect you directly. So be aware and be in touch and be engaged. Victor, thank you so much for joining us. Great to have you on the show. Thank you for having me. That was Victor Avila, former ICE special agent and author of Agent Under Fire. And for those watching our full episode, joining us after the break is Antonio Gorsefo, China economic analyst. He touches on how China's influence has been popping up around the world and how it's taken over an entire continent. All that and more after the break here on China in Focus. Welcome back to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. Joining us now, Antonio Grisefo, China economic analyst. He touches on how China's influence has been popping up around the world and how it's taken over an entire continent. Let's dive in. Antonio, thank you so much for joining us today. Great to have you back on the show. Good to see you, Tiffany. China has been known to lend to countries, especially developing ones. But one entire continent that's often overlooked is Africa, where China is the biggest lender. So what are some of the risks around that? Well, you know, these are some of the most impoverished countries in the world that also have some of the largest debt. And so you have a, you know, a poor country and then they're in debt. They're in debt to China. They owe them a lot of money. Plus, we're all coming out of this two years of COVID economy. So these countries are really in danger of default. A number of them are actually in danger of default. Several of them are threatened with default. What happens when these countries default? And if they can't pay back China, what happens then? That's a very good question. A uh, number of analysts. So first of all, China keeps most of the contracts um, relatively secret. Um, it's one of the big criticisms of China and the lending on the Belt and Road Initiative is that it's all secret and uh, it's opaque and nobody knows what the uh, what the terms of the contracts are. Um, in cases where foreign analysts have looked at the contracts, they said, well, this contract clearly says that if country X in Africa defaults on their loans, China gets to take their seaport or their airport or their, you know, uh, cobalt mines or something. And China apparently uh, always says, well, no, you see, you misunderstand the contract. Everyone misunderstands the contract, everyone except China. So yeah, there's, there's a huge debate. If you were to Google this, you'll find papers by universities all over the world that are saying, well, clearly this contract says if they don't pay their debt, China's going to take, you know, the airport or, or, or something, something of value. And then China always says, no, that's not the case. And within academia, within think tanks, there are also people that are very much uh, China apologists, if you will. And they will look at it. You're, you're, you're nuts. When you read this contract, if you believe that China is going to take their airport, I love one of the one of the counter arguments. I love this counter argument. They actually said, how could China take the airport? It's still there. It's like, well, it doesn't actually say they're going to take the airport. It says they get the revenue for the next 20 years. That's actually what the contract said, that China gets to take all the revenue from the only national airport for 20 years. Okay, so 
for shorthand, we said China's taking their air for it, yeah. Out of all of these scenarios, whether China gains access to the mines or the airports, what are some of the risks to other countries then? I'm not sure that I would say that that necessarily poses risk to other countries, but what I would say is that it is certainly a warning to other countries. Uh, you know, before you borrow money from China, you have to really think it through. Now, one of the issues is that China has a strategy of essentially looking for countries that the IMF, the World Bank, the Paris Club, you know, the standard lenders will not lend to because these other organizations have a conscience and they'll actually say, listen, uh, you know, country X or Y, uh, you're already heavily in debt. And if we loan you more money, we're going to be putting debt on top of debt and it's going to overburden you and it could crash out your economy and do all kinds of horrible things. Your currency can collapse and, and this and that. And um, so they won't lend to them, like basically out of conscience. And then China shows up, they go, oh, you know, the West rejected you. I'm your friend. I'll loan you this money. And then they loan them the money and then they push them over the edge or right to the edge. The other issue that I have, well, as far as you ask what the, the impact on other countries, let's say an impact outside of country X. Let's say a country X in Africa has borrowed a bunch of money from China. They were first rejected by the World Bank, the Paris Club. They borrow from China. Now they're in, in debt. They have to make these, these massive payments. This is the problem. All these China loans are basically China's loaning them money to build infrastructure which will allegedly generate revenue and that revenue will be enough to pay back the loans well if you're building a highway or you're building an airport or you're building a seaport until it's completed it doesn't generate any revenue so actually but the payments start immediately immediately meaning from the time you 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 sign the agreement maybe there's a payment due in six months or you know every six months or every quarter or twice a year whatever it is right that begins immediately, but it may take years to build this airport or whatever it is. So it doesn't generate any revenue. So now the country is on the hook and they have to make these payments. And Antonio, it seems without steps being taken, we're already seeing some of that leverage play out. For instance, with China buying UN votes from Africa, with African countries always voting on China's side. So if steps aren't taken going forward, what do you see happening? Well, the UN votes is just such a huge thing. I mean, that is just such a huge thing. Every one of these countries that gets on the hook with China, uh, you'll find them voting with China. When you look at things like, here's a litmus test, check which countries voted to condemn Russia for the invasion of Ukraine. And you'll find that most of the Belt and Road countries or countries that were heavily indebted to China uh, yeah, abstained from the vote. Um, you look at countries that vote for um, declaring a human rights crisis in Xinjiang or calling Xinjiang a genocide. And again, you're going to find that countries that are heavily indebted to China do not vote against China. So long term, what does that mean? Well, there's going to be more and more of these countries, right? This process is ongoing. China will keep co-opting countries. The Solomon Islands recently, they signed this defense pact. Um, one of the um, South Pacific countries. Uh, Island nations switched their recognition from uh, from Taiwan to China. Um, you know, there's a couple of countries in Latin America that were very concerned that they're about to switch their recognition from from uh, Taiwan to China. You know, and so uh, ongoing, we're going to see China, uh, rather Taiwan, will have fewer and fewer friends. 
we will see that in the UN, we will have fewer and fewer votes on things like genocide. I mean, Russia invaded Ukraine. Okay, regardless of Ukraine is not a NATO ally, um, you know, regardless of, of any feelings you may have about Ukraine or don't have about Ukraine, you like them, you love them, it doesn't matter. This is a sovereign nation in Europe that has been invaded by another nation. That needs to be condemned, right? China won't condemn it. And then countries that owe money, China won't condemn it. And little by little, these African countries are just going to get sucked into this, uh, this China orbit. And meanwhile, these debts, China claims that they, they are not taking ports and they're not taking airports in places like Kenya. Uh, if you look at the contracts, that, that is what is happening. And you're going to wind up with China controlling seaports in Africa. They're going to control airports. I mean, they already have a military base in Djibouti. Um, maybe they'll be building other bases. And uh, it's it's just this Chinese juggernaut that, that one of the advantages of the dictatorial system that China has. On that note, Antonio, what would you like to see countries like the U.S. and allies do in Africa to try and make some change? I would love it if we would step up our lending, um, perhaps making some type of consortium uh, between the United States and the EU. Um, and, and, and another thing, I, I would like to call on Singapore and some of the Asian countries that are now getting a bit richer, I, I think it's time for them to start playing a role in world affairs as well. You know, J Japan does a great deal, you know, and I'm very proud of, you know, all the many things that Japan does and, you know, financing banks, uh, you know, development banks in Africa, in Asia. Um, India is starting to um, grow into its, you know, its size. I mean, it's the second largest country. It should have more influence in world affairs, and it, and it is doing that. And thank God for that. But I would like to see Singapore. I, you know, I would like to see um, Korea. I would like to see some of the rich Asian, even Malaysia. I'd like to see them playing more of a role. And let's put together some type of a reasonable aid package, development package, where we could help countries in Africa to develop their democracy, to develop their economy. Because they really need, I mean, they're, you know, they're wonderful people. It's like, it's like these are very nice people that are stuck in a very bad situation and then very often have horrible, corrupt leaders. And they have to deal with that. And then there's civil wars and then there's other strife. And so many of these problems kind of disappear if you have sealed roads and you have schools with electricity and water and things like that. Like wars, civil wars, things like tend not to happen in, in developed countries as, as, as the development occurs. It's just going to help improve the lives of all the people. And, you know, I really would call on like like Malaysia, even Indonesia to an extent and say that, listen, about half these people. About half the people in Africa are Muslim. Like, why can't you help, you know, why can't you see that as, you know, you can help, you know, your other Muslim brethren, you know, and and then, of course, you know, the, the, the rest of the population is Christian. And, and uh, you know, so the U.S., the EU, the other rich countries could get together and do a lot more in Africa. But we have to offer reasonable alternatives to what China is offering them. Antonio, any last thoughts you'd like to add? We have to stop China. No, this 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 lending this lending machine. I mean, as an economist, I'm inside of this thing all week. You know, I'm I'm, I'm just I'm just amazed at how the pieces all fit together. And China publishes 
their plans. This is the insane thing. If, if somebody told me that like Germany's planning to take over the earth, that would be a conspiracy theory that you would find on the dark web. It's like, if I tell people China's planning to take over the earth, how do you know that? I'm like, they said so. They published these plans. And it's just, it's just insane how the plans all interlock. Everything from the banks, the state-owned banks, the finance companies, the transportation, shipping now, they, they, they own ships, you know. It's just every step of the way. China is the vertically and horizontally integrated country that is run like a corporation with an army, you know, and they are just rolling across Africa, rolling across Latin America, and we absolutely have to take a proactive stance there. Antonio, thank you so much for joining us today. Great to have you back on the show. Good to see you, Tiffany. That was Antonio Graceffo, China economic analyst. And in the first half, we heard from Victor Avila, former ICE special agent and author of Agent Under Fire. If you have any feedback on our show or have something you'd like to see us cover, send us an email at chinaandfocus at ntd.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for watching. I'm Tiffany Meyer, and see you soon.